Good morning. That never happened to me before. Though I did, I, I always remember that the first time I preached when I was in seminary, I went to seminary at, uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I preached over in this little tiny fellowship over on the west side of Fort Worth, so I drove all the way over there. But the night before, I dreamed a vivid dream of that I set my tie on fire <laughs> while lighting the chalice. I grew up in the Unitarian faith. My father and mother both came from long lines of German Baptists, Dunkard Baptists from northern Pennsylvania, a little tiny uh, church that I have gone to visit was the root stock of their faith here. And both uh, of my grandfathers were Baptist ministers. And Many of my aunts and uncles were Baptist ministers, and my parents became Unitarians just before I was born. And in fact, my father was a Unitarian minister up until about the time I was 10, when he chose instead the quieter and simpler life in a steel mill. <laughs> he always said no one ever called him from work when he worked at the steel mill. No one ever called him at home. We went to the first Unitarian church, the last church he served, until I left for college. All of which is to set the stage for my decision to leave Unitarian Universalism when I was 20 years old. It was 1969. So you can imagine that story. I will spare you all especially those younger than me and those older than me. The full details of that story is just one more baby boomer telling the story of the day they let their freak flag fly. <laughs> uh, you know that old gospel song, I love to tell the story? <laughs> That's our version of it. Suffice it to say I was way too whatever for Unitarian Universalism. So fast forward about 20 years, and I'm living in a Chicago suburb with my beloved Sue. And we have been married for 13 or 14 years at that point and have two daughters who are 8 and 11. And we have had a winding path and done all sorts of political things and had some interesting jobs and are now both working in information systems. Our families are elsewhere. Hers are from the Twin Cities, mine were then in Tucson. We have no friends beyond our work acquaintances. In 1988, at Christmas, we attended the Christmas Eve service at the Unitarian Universalist Church, Unity Church in St. Paul, where her sister was going, and we liked it. And so in our typical fashion, about eight or nine months later, we finally got around to going to the Countryside Unitarian Universalist Church in Palatine. It was Sue's first venture into Unitarian Universalism. She grew up a Catholic, and I was returning to the church of my childhood. Stop me if you've heard this story before. <laughs> of course you have. This is our foundational story. It's not for nothing that the most popular introductory book about Unitarian Universalism is titled Our Chosen Faith. Our Chosen Faith. 
Even people who are born into this faith, faith, wow, that's a slip, isn't it? <laughs> Even people who are born into this faith do not slide unthinkingly from childhood into adulthood as Unitarian Universalists. Our acorns seem to fall far from our trees. And sometimes, so many of us, most of us, are here because we choose to be, because we chose to be. So I want to go back and remember that context in which we made that choice. What was our life like before we started going back to church? What's it like to be an unchurched family living in a semi-prosperous suburb of Chicago? Well, it was very busy, and it was sort of superficial, and it was impersonal. Our co-workers, who are the only people we really knew well, were scattered across a broad expanse of suburbs. And as much as we knew everything about them at work, and you could predict how they would behave in a meeting with uncanny accuracy, and you knew what they thought was funny, and you knew what they were going to eat for lunch every day, and you spent hours laughing your head off at other people with them, <laughs> you'd meet them to watch a football game on Sunday afternoon at somebody's house, and suddenly they would seem like complete strangers. You only knew this little slice of them. And our friends from the neighborhood, well, they were the parents of our friends' kids, our kids' friends. Our kids were on a swim team through the park district in our town then, and we would meet other parents at swim meets. Swim meets would last for hours, hours and hours and hours. <laughs> It would be hours of watching little kids flail like egg beaters across the pool, you know? <laughs> and you would sit for hours in the hot sun waiting for your chance to have his 30, her 30 seconds of flailing across the pool amidst the hours of everyone else. Then you'd have pizza on the way home, the evening would be shot, Every week we would meet some other parents and say to ourselves on the way home, now they seem like really good people. Maybe we should figure out a way to spend some time with them. But we never did. I don't want to focus just on the loneliness and relative isolation of that life or of middle class adult life in general. What I remember was its lack of depth. It was a life without much self-reflection. It was a life in which moral and ethical choosing didn't seem to be required. One can drift through adult life. Once the big decisions of finding a partner and finding a career and finding a place and to live have been made, after that it's working. Keeping up with the email. Keeping the kids safe by keeping them busy mostly and making sure that they do their homework. I look back at that time and I am aware now that I was hungry in a way that I could not name. 
that I had a vague restlessness, a discontent, a sense of purposelessness uh, going through the motions. Well, our older daughter Kate was being picked up on by one of the local Baptist churches. Her friends would invite her to a Saturday morning program with them and she would go. The kid would get a candy bar for bringing in a fresh recruit. <laughs> and they would all play games and have a good time. But one Saturday morning, the Baptist preacher is at the door, our front door, letting us know that they'd be around tomorrow and they'd be picking Katie up for Sunday school in their big blue bus. And Katie's upstairs going, <laughs> I don't want to go, I don't want to go. So I go to the door and I explain to the man that yes, thank you, we had our own religion. Thank you, we were Unitarians, of course. We didn't. I was just lying to the guy. <laughs> and like so many others, you know, we went back to church so that our kids could have a religious education. That's what we told ourselves. That's how middle class parents think. Never let it be said that you denied your children any opportunity for enrichment. Ballet lessons, swimming lessons, religious education, you know, whatever. You'll do it. I think now, looking back, it's we who had the hunger and didn't know how to express it. The most we could say at that point was that we were looking for community and friendship. But I think there was more unsaid going on with us. But we had made a choice, a choice to go against the grain of life we were living. Most of our friends and neighbors didn't go to church, or if they did, it wasn't very important to them. We had made a choice to cautiously tiptoe our way into something that we knew had the power, the potential to radically disrupt our lives, take up our precious time, which we already felt was too stretched, we were already too busy. Our scarce energy when we were already dead tired at the end of the day. And our money, even though it seemed like we had just barely enough to get by at that time. So how does the spirit grow? The spirit grows when you go against the grain. It rolls with the choosing you. We had made a choice we wanted something different in our lives, and that something was connected to, toward a commitment to goodness, toward seeing ourselves as living out of our best intentions. Yes, it was about finding a community and having friends, but not just any friends, but the kind that would help us somehow be better. It was a choice. A choice to take on a particular spiritual practice, this thing we do, this thing that we're doing right now, the spiritual practice of congregational worship. worship. It's a decision that we needed more hours in our life of the concentrated attention that worship is. It was a choice that we would learn how to pray, or at least be silent in the presence of prayer. 
It was a choice to learn a whole new set of songs, songs that we never heard on the radio. It was a choice to sit and listen to one person over and over and over again because there was just the chance that he or she might say that one thing, that one thing that you cannot escape. It was a choice not to have all the time that we needed to learn how to play golf well or to build a model railroad in the basement or to accumulate a really first-class top-notch set of baby beanies, baby, beanie babies. <laughs> That's always been our code for, oh, I don't know what, what we never wanted to be was a we saw a man sitting outside of a store holding his wife's purse. She's in there, it was a Beanie Baby store, she's in there buying Beanie Babies and Sue said to me, honey, I could have been that woman and you could be that guy. <laughs> we did not have the theological language or the spiritual tools or the practices to describe what we wanted. And even now it's hard for me to describe because it was such a subtle shift in my attitudes. But the key to it all was that it was a choice and an intention. What is this thing we call our spirit? What am I saying when I say, I want to be more spiritual? Or when your friend says to you, I want to be more spiritual but I don't want to be religious. What are people saying? I think it comes down to this, that your spirit is yourself when you are choosing to go with your best intentions and your deepest and broadest awareness. The spirit is a muscle, a choosing muscle, and it grows stronger when you exercise it. Your spirit grows when you go against the grain. It rolls with the choosing you, like when you wed and left the noisy markets of desire. Remember when you first chose a beloved? Maybe your spouse, your partner, your present lover, the first one long ago, or even the one who was a terrible choice, the mistake that ended in heartache and tragedy, or maybe even the one who never knew the impossible choice, the faraway crush. It does not matter how it ended or even if it ever started, remember the choosing. It was the choosing that turned your world. This one and not that one that changed you. It made your heart a sail to catch the winds of love and give direction to desire. Choosing makes us, defines us, differentiates us from the others, reveals and creates our essence. My spirit is the choosing self, especially when I go against the grain. We make choices every day that define our spiritual lives. When everyone is shouting, but you are silent. And in these times of doings never done, you pray. 
and even stay within your book when someone turns the TV on. Your spirit grows like a muscle. To speak out loud what others are afraid to say, and if everyone else is worried about money, to be afraid that someday they will live less well, your spirit grows when you choose to give more of it away. They say that hard times are coming and that we're all going to be broke in the future. Huge sums of money are just disappearing, dissolving into air. Apparently they were just mirages that disappeared when we looked at them more closely. The strength of each of our choosing muscle, our spirits, will become more important when money gets thin. I believe it will be the choices we make about money that will reveal the shape and strength of our spirits in the years to come. These are days when people either drift with the current, go with the grain, and if they do, they will retreat from community. A recent New York Times Sunday magazine predicted that a depression in the United States would be very depressing. <laughs> that people would retreat inside their homes and suffer in silence and shame and embarrassment and lose themselves in TV and video games. Communities especially communities that depend on the, some level of financial contribution from its participants will dry up unless people choose otherwise. Some churches will wither away and some will grow and thrive. And the difference will come down to this, whether the people in the church have chosen to live out of their spirits their best intentions, their widest vision, their fullest hearts, and have made room for others to make that same choice. That same sad hunger, that vague restlessness, that same ultra-busy boredom that so held my family 20 years ago in that suburb of Chicago will, it will be and is everywhere today. Praise be to God that a house and a home was made for that spirit for us so that we might let our spirits grow, that we had a place to choose. And praise be to God to all those houses of worship that will choose to do the same in the years to come. Amen. Please join me in hanging sim number three. This is a day. Uh, please, <laughs> please join me in singing hymn number 34, Though I May Speak, with Bravest Fire.
come, Spirit, come, let our hearts control. Our spirits long to be made whole. Let inward love guide every deed. By this we worship and are freed. God, I love that stuff. <laughs> Since we choose is what we are, and what we love we yet shall be. The goal may ever shine afar, and the will to win, the choice to move, is what sets us free. Amen. And God bless you all. That never happened to me before. <laughs> Though I did, I, I always remember that the first time I preached when I was in seminary, I went to seminary at, uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I preached over in this little tiny fellowship over on the west side of Fort Worth, so I drove all the way over there. But the night before, I dreamed a vivid dream of that I set my tie on fire <laughs> while lighting the chalice. I grew up in the Unitarian faith. My father and mother both came from long lines of German Baptists, Dunkard Baptists from northern Pennsylvania, a little tiny uh, church that I have gone to visit was the rootstock of their faith here. And both uh, of my grandfathers were Baptist ministers. And Many of my aunts and uncles were Baptist ministers, and my parents became Unitarians just before I was born. And in fact, my father was a Unitarian minister up until about the time I was 10, when he chose instead the quieter and simpler life in a steel mill. <laughs> he always said no one ever called him from work when he worked at the steel mill. No one ever called him at home. 
We went to the First Unitarian Church, the last church he served until I left for college, all of which is to set the stage for my decision to leave Unitarian Universalism when I was 20 years old. It was 1969. So you can imagine that story. I will spare you all, especially those younger than me and those older than me, the full details of that story is just one more baby boomer telling the story of the day they let their freak flag fly. <laughs> uh, you know that old gospel song, I love to tell the story? <laughs> That's our version of it. Suffice it to say I was way too whatever for Unitarian Universalism. So fast forward about 20 years and I'm living in a Chicago suburb with my beloved Sue and we have been married for 13 or 14 years at that point and have two daughters who are 8 and 11. And we have had a winding path and done all sorts of political things and had some interesting jobs and are now both working in information systems. Our families are elsewhere. Hers are from the Twin Cities, mine were then in Tucson. We have no friends beyond our work acquaintances. In 1988, at Christmas, we attended the Christmas Eve service at the Unitarian Universalist Church, Unity Church in St. Paul, where her sister was going, and we liked it. And so in our typical fashion, about eight or nine months later, we finally got around to going to the Countryside Unitarian Universalist Church in Palatine. It was Sue's first venture into Unitarian Universalism. She grew up a Catholic, and I was returning to the church of my childhood. Stop me if you've heard this story before. <laughs> of course you have. This is our foundational story. It's not for nothing that the most popular introductory book about Unitarian Universalism is titled Our Chosen Faith. Our Chosen Faith. Even people who are born into this faith, faith, well, that's a slip, isn't it? <laughs> Even people who are born into this faith do not slide unthinkingly from childhood into adulthood as Unitarian Universalists. Our acorns seem to fall far from our trees. And sometimes, so many of us, most of us are here because we choose to be, because we chose to be. So I want to go back and remember that context in which we made that choice. What was our life like before we started going back to church? What's it like to be an unchurched family living in a semi-prosperous suburb of Chicago? Well, it was very busy, and it was sort of superficial, and it was impersonal. Our co-workers, who are the only people we really knew well, were scattered across a broad expanse of suburbs. And as much as we knew everything about them at work, and you could predict how they would behave in a meeting with uncanny accuracy, and you knew what they thought was funny, and you knew what they were going to eat for lunch every day, and you spent hours laughing your head off at other people with them. 
you'd meet them to watch a football game on Sunday afternoon at somebody's house, and suddenly they would seem like complete strangers. You only knew this little slice of them. And our friends from the neighborhood, well, they were the parents of our friends' kids, our kids' friends. Our kids were on a swim team through the park district in our town then, and we would meet other parents at swim meets. Swim meets would last for hours, hours and hours and hours. It would be hours of watching little kids flail like egg beaters across the pool, you know? And you would sit for hours in the hot sun, waiting for your chance to have his 30, her 30 seconds of flailing across the pool, amidst the hours of everyone else. Then you'd have pizza on the way home, the evening would be shot. Every week we would meet some other parents and say to ourselves on the way home, now they seem like really good people. Maybe we should figure out a way to spend some time with them. But we never did. I don't want to focus just on the loneliness and relative isolation of that life or of middle class adult life in general. What I remember was its lack of depth. It was a life without much self-reflection. It was a life in which moral and ethical choosing didn't seem to be required. One can drift through adult life. Once the big decisions of finding a partner and finding a career and finding a place and to live have been made, after that it's working. Keeping up with the email. Keeping the kids safe by keeping them busy mostly and making sure that they do their homework. I look back at that time and I am aware now that I was hungry in a way that I could not name. That I had a vague restlessness, a discontent, a sense of purposelessness, a going through the motions. While our older daughter Kate was being picked up on by one of the local Baptist churches, her friends would invite her to a Saturday morning program with them, and she would go. The kid would get a candy bar for bringing in a fresh recruit. <laughs> and they would all play games and have a good time. But one Saturday morning, the Baptist preacher is at the door, our front door, letting us know that they'd be around tomorrow, and they'd be picking Katie up for Sunday school in their big blue bus. And Katie's upstairs going, <laughs> I don't want to go, I don't want to go. So I go to the door and I explain to the man that yes, thank you, we had our own religion. Thank you, we were Unitarians. Of course, we didn't. I was just lying to the guy. <laughs> and like so many others, you know, we went back to church so that our kids could have a religious education. That's what we told ourselves. That's how middle class parents think. Never let it be said that you denied your children any opportunity for enrichment. <laughs> Ballet lessons, swimming lessons, religious education, you know, whatever. You'll do it. 
I think now, looking back, it's we who had the hunger and didn't know how to express it. The most we could say at that point was that we were looking for community and friendship. But I think there was more unsaid going on with us. But we had made a choice. A choice to go against the grain of life we were living. Most of our friends and neighbors didn't go to church, or if they did, it wasn't very important to them. We had made a choice to cautiously tiptoe our way into something that we knew had the power, the potential to radically disrupt our lives, take up our precious time, which we already felt was too stretched. We were already too busy. Our scarce energy when we were already dead tired at the end of the day. And our money, even though it seemed like we had just barely enough to get by at that time. So how does the spirit grow? The spirit grows when you go against the grain. It rolls with the choosing you. We had made a choice we wanted something different in our lives, and that something was connected to, toward a commitment to goodness, toward seeing ourselves as living out of our best intentions. Yes, it was about finding a community and having friends, but not just any friends, but the kind that would help us somehow be better. It was a choice. A choice to take on a particular spiritual practice, this thing we do, this thing that we're doing right now, the spiritual practice of congregational worship. worship. It's a decision that we needed more hours in our life of the concentrated attention that worship is. It was a choice that we would learn how to pray, or at least be silent in the presence of prayer. It was a choice to learn a whole new set of songs, songs that we never heard on the radio. It was a choice to sit and listen to one person over and over and over again because there was just the chance that he or she might say that one thing, that one thing that you cannot escape. It was a choice not to have all the time that we needed to learn how to play golf well, or to build a model railroad in the basement, or to accumulate a really first-class top-notch set of baby beanies, baby beanie babies. <laughs> That's always been our code for, oh, I don't know what, what we never wanted to be was a uh, we saw a man sitting outside of a store holding his wife's purse. She's in there. It was a Beanie Baby store. She's in there buying Beanie Babies. And Sue said to me, Honey, I could have been that woman. And you could be that guy. <laughs> we did not have the theological language or the spiritual tools or the practices to describe what we wanted. And even now, it's hard for me to describe because it was such a subtle shift in my attitudes. But the key to it all was that it was a choice and an intention.
What is this thing we call our spirit? What am I saying when I say, I want to be more spiritual? Or when your friend says to you, I want to be more spiritual, but I don't want to be religious. What are people saying? I think it comes down to this, that your spirit is yourself when you are choosing to go with your best intentions and your deepest and broadest awareness. The spirit is a muscle, a choosing muscle, and it grows stronger when you exercise it. Your spirit grows when you go against the grain. It rolls with the choosing you, like when you wed and left the noisy markets of desire. Remember when you first chose a beloved? Maybe your spouse, your partner, your present lover, the first one long ago, or even the one who was a terrible choice, the mistake that ended in heartache and tragedy, or maybe even the one who never knew the impossible choice, the faraway crush. It does not matter how it ended or even if it ever started, remember the choosing. It was the choosing that turned your world. This one and not that one that changed you. It made your heart assail to catch the winds of love and give direction to desire. Choosing makes us, defines us, differentiates us from the others, reveals and creates our essence. My spirit is the choosing self, especially when I go against the grain. We make choices every day that define our spiritual lives. When everyone is shouting, but you are silent. And in these times of doings never done, you pray. And even stay within your book when someone turns the TV on. Your spirit grows like a muscle. To speak out loud what others are afraid to say. And if everyone else is worried about money, to be afraid that someday they will live less well, your spirit grows when you choose to give more of it away. They say that hard times are coming and that we're all going to be broke in the future. Huge sums of money are just disappearing, dissolving into air. Apparently they were just mirages that disappeared when we looked at them more closely. The strength of each of our choosing muscle, our spirits, will become more important when money gets thin. I believe it will be the choices we make about money that will reveal the shape and strength of our spirits in the years to come. These are days when people either drift with the current, go with the grain, and if they do, they will retreat from community. A recent New York Times Sunday magazine predicted that a depression in the United States would be very depressing. <laughs> that 
people would retreat inside their homes and suffer in silence and shame and embarrassment and lose themselves in TV and video games. Communities, especially communities that depend on the, some level of financial contribution from its participants, will dry up unless people choose otherwise. Some churches will wither away, and some will grow and thrive. And the difference will come down to this, whether the people in the church have chosen to live out of their spirits, their best intentions, their widest vision, their fullest hearts, and have made room for others to make that same choice. That same sad hunger, that vague restlessness, that same ultra-busy boredom that so held my family 20 years ago in that suburb of Chicago will, it will be and is everywhere today. Praise be to God that a house and a home was made for that spirit for us so that we might let our spirits grow, that we had a place to choose. And praise be to God to all those houses of worship that will choose to do the same in the years to come. Amen. <laughs>